we're gonna be looking at how this was a crossroads. You see now, like I said, people are getting more into things like food sovereignty or green energy. And I think that we're gonna look back and see this as a, as a time when uh, tribes, when uh, indigenous people are leading the way. Welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Cole Primo. And I'm your other host, Leah Lem. So on Native Lights, we get to talk with folks around Indian country and Minnesota about how they share their gifts and how they learned about their purpose and all of that good stuff in life. Uh, So yeah, that's Native Lights. How are you doing, Cole? Very good, very good. Um, You know, just just, uh, at the grind, you know, always. How about you? No, things are good. Um, it's actually really cute. Marvin is, um, my seven-year-old, is gearing up for lacrosse uh, this spring. So he was trying on all oh, of nice. his equipment. Um, oh, shoot. I was going to look up who that guy is, but he kind of reminded me of that bad guy in Spider-Man. It was like green um, shoulder pads and oh, all that. Uh, Who's the bad guy? The villain. Is it the Green Goblin? Green Goblin. I think that's it. He reminded me of the Green (laughs) Goblin when he had all of his uh, gear on. So, yeah. Um, Nice, nice. (laughs) But, yeah, so (laughs) um, I I wanted to at least mention the lacrosse bit because we have a little bit of a sports theme today on Native Lights. Mm. So, um, as as we know, there's a rich and deep history of Native folks playing sports, inventing sports, getting a, the creator's game from the creator, which Marvin's learning to play. Um, so we're going to talk about one of those Hall of Famers today um, in baseball uh, with an author who wrote a book on him for young readers. So um, I'm excited for that. We'll also talk a bit about food sovereignty and history. Nice. Uh, today we are talking with author Cade Ferris. Cade is an author and indigenous historian and researcher. Cade is from the Turtle Mountain community and is an enrolled Metis Nation citizen of the Manitoba Metis Federation. His most recent work is a biography about Hall of Fame pitcher Charles Albert Bender. And that book is a part of the Minnesota Native American Lives series, which is a partnership between the Minnesota Humanities Center and the Minnesota Indian Affairs Council. So that's that's a really cool series. The book was recently listed as one of the American Indians in children's literature best books of 2020. So it is a book written for third through fifth graders. And he is the author of six books on the history and culture of the Ojibwe, Cree, and Métis people. Oh, and he has reached the Amazon Top 100 list several times, so that's pretty cool. I don't even know how many books are on Amazon. Thousands, millions. (laughs) (laughs) So Top 100. So as you can hear, Cade is on the line. Yay, welcome, Cade Bujou. Bujou. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, Yeah, great to be here. Yeah, thanks for uh, joining us today. Um, I, I got to read the book and it was really fun, and my kid is slowly making his way through it too. So we'll we'll talk a bit more about that later. But first, yeah. So could we just start by uh, please introducing yourself and you know where you're joining us from? Yeah, I'm Cade Ferris. I'm uh, joining you from uh, Red Lake, Minnesota. Here, 
Very nice, very nice. How are you and your family doing during the pandemic? Uh, pretty good so far. Nobody's gotten sick. Um, a lot of uh, community members uh, here in Red Lake and back in Turtle Mountain, uh, you know, of course, uh, I know, got sick. And so that was kind of a, you know, very sad thing. I'm glad that uh, it seems that, you know, we're turning a corner. I'm hoping we are anyway. So you have a couple titles. We we went through them quickly. Author, researcher, and historian. Can you give us an overview of your work? Uh, well, I, I work as a uh, historian, archaeologist, and uh, planner. Um, I do a lot of uh, grant writing, uh, historic preservation work, trying to uh, uh, preserve uh, uh, historical information, historical resources. I work with uh, some of the programs uh, in the tribe. I assist with like the Buffalo program for planning for the gardening program. I do a lot of support uh, for programs, which is kind of a, a really fun thing to do because I can apply my research to so many different areas, so many different uh, jobs that need to be done around the community. So I'm kind of a jack of all trades. You know, when they say that you can't do anything with an anthropology degree, they're wrong. <laughs> you know, you can do a lot of uh, things as long as you're flexible and are willing to, I guess, learn and apply yourself and your, and your knowledge that you gain uh, to the right places. Have you had to like, uh, you know, adjust the way you've worked this past year due to, you know, everything? Yeah. I mean, a lot, a lot more uh, Zoom meetings than in face, you know, face-to-face meetings, but in a way, remote uh, meetings are almost better in a sense, because you think of all the money that you spend on a, you know, yearly basis and time driving to Minneapolis for a meeting or driving to Wisconsin for a meeting, you know, spending a hotel, whereas now you can do it, you know, um, you know, safely and more efficiently. So in a way, I'm a huge fan of remote work because I've, been, I've actually been able to hold a class for uh, Minnesota Department of Transportation this last fall during the height of uh, COVID. You know, we were able to have 80 people on a class to talk about how to use drones to better uh, manage cultural resources and to uh, do, do road surveys. So it was a really great, you know, to think if all these people had to take leave to go to a uh, to go to a place to sit down, you know, be fed, all that. How many thousands of dollars are being spent when they you know they're you know able to do that right there from the comfort of their office? So I think that the pandemic has really done a good job of making us be more efficient, mm. if nothing else. Yeah, I'm enjoying Zoom because I feel like I can do more. You know, I did like being fed, though. I think uh, <laughs> the food part was good. <laughs> that was definitely a plus. A uh, lot of good catering, but uh, I know, like, we're just doing our taxes now, and you know, I'm looking at my mileage for this last year, and yep. boy, oh boy, did those miles uh, go way <laughs> down. <laughs> In 2020. Yep. <laughs> and, and I think the, the bad thing is it, it keeps us apart, mm-hmm. especially, you know, in a travel community mm-hmm. where being together and doing things cooperatively like that is so important. That's one of the things that well, I think that helped this year, the gardening program can mm-hmm. uh, go ahead, uh, whereas last year was really affected. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, yeah, socially distancing, but just being able to do more things like that to uh, bring more buffalo in to start building on some of these uh, things that were kind of shelved. That's the hard part mm-hmm. is when you have to shelf all these products that require a lot of people working together. And I think that's important to make yeah. sure that we 
you know, can do more stuff together. Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned the Buffalo Project. Is that then the Red Lake? Um, what, what's the exact title of that? And maybe can you talk a little bit about that and how it relates to... <laughs> all we can this. all kind of guess how it relates to Indigenous history, but can you but, talk a little yeah. bit about that? And so the Tribal Planning Department, they've been working very hard uh, for the last couple of years trying to plan uh, for the program. <laughs> And I, I was the Buffalo manager for Turtle Mountain Tribe for uh, many years. And so when I got over here, I wasn't doing anything with the Buffalo, but uh, somebody caught wind that I actually had done something with the Buffalo. So mm. I was roped in to help with grant writing and uh, doing some planning. And it's been a really great pro- you know, program because it's something that I think, you know, five years down the line will be a healthy source of, um, of meat. Mm. And that's, you know, because diabetes, heart disease, those type of things, they're, you know, those are all caused by a really, your, the, uh, that, that colonized diet mm-hmm. that has been, you know, kind of pushed on tribal communities for the last 150 years. And, you know, just getting back to more healthy lean meats, more uh, whole foods, it's something that can actually have a net benefit, uh, not just teaching skills or teaching history or culture, but uh, having that health benefit and it goes hand in hand with what Red Lake has been doing with their fishery program, with their uh, uh, Red Lake foods initiative where they actually have berries and syrup and everything kind of going on. So it's, it's mm. fantastic to be, be able to be plugged into that and to provide as much information or as much um, knowledge as I can from the perspective of, like I said, of cultural resource management and bringing those uh, uh whatever information I can to help enhance it or make it better. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today, we're hearing from Cade Ferris, author and Indigenous historian and researcher. Cade is from the Turtle Mountain community and is an enrolled Métis Nation citizen of the Manitoba Métis Federation. And Cade is currently the Tribal Historic Preservation Officer with Red Lake Nation. So, Cade, what made you get into the line of work you're in? Uh, Well, when I was a child, when I was, uh, I guess, young, I used to like to listen to my, you know, my, my grandparents uh, talk about different things. And my dad was an artist and as an artist, his, he worked in, in the, in this realism in his, uh, the way he approached everything. So everything he did was researching, you know, beadwork, researching uh, clothing styles from history. And as part of that, you know, I just kind of thought it was really neat to see some of the things he was doing. So when I was, uh, young, I, I said, I want to do three things with my life. I want to be a historian, anthropologist. I want to teach college and I want to be on the radio. Well, and I was able to do all three of those things. <laughs> but the one thing that really stuck has been, uh, you know, working with uh, history and culture and, uh, you know, just doing a lot of that uh, type of information gathering that can benefit the community, be it uh, looking at uh, ecological information uh, information about, uh, you know, food sovereignty and those type of things. But, uh, you know, everything else was great. I was actually a, a radio host at uh, KEYA Public Radio in Belcourt, North Dakota for five years. So that was a real treat too. So we talked a bit about the pandemic. Now, uh, as an Indigenous historian researcher, how do you see someone like you 
a hundred years from now, looking back on this time? <laughs> well, I think that in a way, uh, we're going to be looking at how this was a crossroads mm -hmm. because you see now, like I said, people are getting more into things like food sovereignty mm -hmm. or green energy, those things that combat things like climate change or dependence on uh, fossil fuels. And I think that we're going to look back and see this as a, as a time when uh, tribes, when uh, indigenous people are leading the way for that. Because who's standing up to fossil fuels right now? It's, <laughs> mm -hmm. it's indigenous people who are the ones who are looking at natural resource management surrounding climate change. It's native people. And I think that we tend to overlook that, you know, we're, we're going to be harvesting oil from Alberta and moving it to China. Well, that's great. But at the end of the day, what's going to save us isn't that oil that's being transported 2,000 miles. It's those wild rice beds in central Minnesota, which are natural cleaners of the environment. That's those, those plants, those sensitive colonies that we preserve uh, in our backyard that can't be preserved somewhere else because of private land ownership, industries always moving and growing. But on the reservation, on the tribal community, there's a chance to preserve those things. And uh, I think a thousand, you know, hundred years from now, it's going to be the tribes or the example set by the tribes that is going to be, you know, look, look back on as, Hey, that was the right idea. Wonderful. Yeah, that's great. So I saw some of your work with colorizing historical photos. Uh, could you tell me about, could you tell me a little bit about that? It was pretty, it's pretty cool. Um, and some of the memorable photos you worked on. Okay. Well, it's a, it, it's a weird hobby. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, couple of years ago, I, I got myself a blog to start writing down some of the little stories and information that I would collect. And I called the blog the Bajamoan, which just means storytelling. And I was like, this is kind of cool. I got my little blog and I can start saving stories. So I started writing down these stories and it came out to, you know, to some books that I wrote. But then I saw, hey, look, I used this uh, artificial intelligence and colorized this picture. And I looked at him going, that's cool, but it's, it's, it doesn't look real. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I just started playing around with this old piece of software, this 20 plus year old piece of freeware that I have on my computer and I'm like you know it's all it does is it does red green blue and yellow and you have to move sliders around and you know, a thousand mouse clicks later you can turn a black and white picture into something that looks really really cool mm. and looks natural mm. and the thing I, I kind of go for there is I want to see these pictures in color and a lot of people are like well black and white's how they're supposed to be it's like no that's the kind of technology they had when they took those pictures. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't dress somebody in a bandolier bag with all this beadwork if you weren't impressed by the colors. Yeah. <laughs> the technology was black and white. So let's take that and let's make it so that we can appreciate it now. Because one thing about these historical photographs, when they're in black and white, they're great. But in a way, it turns everybody into museum pieces. Mm -hmm. I know there's this big movement. I'm sure you've seen it where... Uh, the idea is let's uh, let's do these uh, pictures and we turn the modern day people into black and white images. Mm -hmm, yes, mm -hmm. um, you know that's kind of a popular thing, and it's like, well, that's great, but that's pandering to that idea that natives are frozen in in time. 
that uh, our past was the height of our culture. It's like, no, we, you know, it's now that's the height of the culture. Mm. We, we're going to be, you know, we need to show that color, that vibrancy, that uh, cutting edge approach, because that's how I guess I'd like to see ourselves is, you know, is colorful, is alive, not frozen in the past. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today, we're hearing from Cade Ferris, author and Indigenous historian and researcher. Cade is from the Turtle Mountain community and is an enrolled Métis Nation citizen of the Manitoba Métis Federation. He's the author of the book, Charles Albert Bender, National Hall of Fame Pitcher, in the Minnesota Native American Live series. So, Cade, uh, actually... I got a uh, Charles Bender card. I actually got this like 15 years ago. I think this was at a Minnesota Twins Native American Heritage Night on August 23rd. So I thought it was pretty cool. I was just researching, you know, uh, for the show, and I like actually have a card. But anyways, um, so <laughs> can you just tell me about you know researching for your book on Charles Bender and some interesting things that you've learned along the way? Oh yeah, that that was actually a, a very fun book to write because. As a, as a, you know, as a, a historian and anthropologist, I often write for an adult audience. I mean, I, I almost exclusively write for an adult audience. And so when I saw that there was a call for authors for these, uh, this Minnesota Native Life program, I was like, well, it'd be fun to write about some of these things. And so I thought, you know, who would be something that somebody that would be a great subject, a great topic. And Charles Bender was that topic. When you look at him and what he did and what he represents as a baseball fan, I was like, Hey, this, you know, he's the perfect person for it. And, you know, growing up, my grandfather was a, a baseball player. There was a, on the reservation at Turtle Mountain, there was an old baseball team uh, back in the thirties. It lasted for years and years back when town ball was, very uh, popular across the whole region, but they had the uh, Belcourt Indians and him and his brothers played on it. And when I was uh, young, I would hear all these baseball stories. And one of the baseball stories I'd often hear about is, Hey, this uh, native guy is from Minnesota, this Chippewa, he's in the hall of fame. He's a pitcher. Mm-hmm. My grandpa was a pitcher. So oh. that was one of his, uh, his heroes. And oh, yeah. Because of that, it became one of my heroes because I heard enough about him that I, you know, knew about him. And it it cuts across so many different themes, too, because it's about education. It's about the boarding school era. It's about perseverance and growing up. And it's it's about uh, facing racism and overcoming it. There's so many different themes that in in, in his life. And it's something that, you know, how do you take those great themes – and boil them down to a level where a child in third or fourth grade can understand it. That was a real challenge. And so I had to kind of, as I wrote, think about talking to my own uh, granddaughter, who's uh, seven years old, or my, my son, who's 11, and trying to figure out how you can do it so it sounds natural. Because that's the hard part. When you're in a professional setting, you're, you're writing for an audience. Uh, you're writing for uh, government agencies or, you know, this audience that's professional versus an audience that's, uh, you know, eight years old, nine years old. And 
that was more fun actually to write for kids because I was able to, you know, overcome a challenge for myself. And, um, I'm not like a huge sports person, but I still liked hearing about, you know, all those different aspects you talked about, including how Charles Albert Bender got such a great arm. I thought that was a really cool story. Do you mind giving a quick summary on that? Yeah. Well, uh, when Charles was, uh, was a kid, they were, I guess he was born down by Malax, down by Brainerd. And that was back in the early days. But when they started to put everybody on the reservations, his family was uh, uh, sent to White Earth. And when they got to White Earth, they uh, signed up for a homestead, but all the good homesteads were taken. All the good land was was already uh, snatched up. and They got there a little bit late. And so the only piece of land that they could get their hands on was a very rocky, kind of boggy piece of land. And before they could plant, they had to get all the rocks out of the field. And so he would uh, you know, spend his time picking up rocks and chucking them out the field. And over time, he got very good at chucking rocks. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that was just something that just helped develop his arm, but he never really thought about it as being a, a, you know, a stepping stone to baseball. Uh, he didn't even think about baseball until he was a lot older, actually. When he was, when he was young, he, when he was a child, he was uh, you know, very you know, concerned with his day-to-day life. There were so many kids in his family that there was not much to go around. There was, uh, you know, about 10 kids. And when uh, somebody came through town, uh, a teacher came through town and said, Hey, uh, would like to take a couple of your kids and send bring, you know, bring them out to school in Pennsylvania. And so he was uh, uh, sent to Pennsylvania to go to school when he was uh, very young. And he liked school because he was able to, have enough to eat and you know so he had a very positive uh boarding school experience which in a way is really you know a little bit different than what you see with a lot of people who had bad experiences but i think he came from a a a, a background that was not quite as happy as some kids might have had and so he uh for him it was an escape and then later it became a way for him to gain some skills to make himself uh, into who he wanted to wanted to become. And and he actually invented a certain throw, right? Oh yeah. The slider. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you watch baseball, one of the you know nastiest pitches, I think that the, would be the best way to say it is a, is a good slider. And, you know, up to that point, baseball was in its infancy when he, you know, started playing. It had been around for about 30 or 40 years. And he, one thing he did, he wasn't a, no, he wasn't a strong guy. He was uh, relatively small and light, and he was uh, he you know, but he could throw the ball you know fast. But what he would do would be try different uh, grips. You know, how am I going to hold the ball? How am I going to throw the ball? And he kind of came up with this uh, kind of a half curveball, half fastball. And when it left his hand, it looked like a fastball, but it acted like a curveball. And there was your slider. Mm-hmm. And with that pitch, he became almost unhittable. He went from basically being an average major league pitcher to an elite major league pitcher just with one pitch. Dang. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Great. So is there anything else you want to talk about before we say goodbye? I know um, – you have your. You talked about your website, Debajamoan. 
Um, is there any other places listeners can go to check out your work? Uh, well, my books are available on Amazon.com. Um, you know, those are, uh, they're, you know, they're fun books. Mm-hmm. And I'm hope, hopefully I'll be coming out with some more soon. You know, I, I, but every Christmas I get the, uh, the urge to write over Christmas break. <laughs> so <laughs> I tend to uh, come out right around the you know, first part of the year just because it's time when I can, I can actually sit down and think and I'm not so overly busy, but I hope that people will look at these books, the uh, Native American uh, life uh, series books, these three books and use them for their, for their children, for their students, for their schools as tools to really make cultural education fun. Uh, being able to learn about these people that were so important to Minnesota history or to uh, be role models. Uh, those, you know, uh, those are, I mean, those are some amazing role models in those, in those books. And I hope that, uh, you know, that they can be used to help educate people, but also to inspire people. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you yeah. so much, Kate Ferris, for taking time to chat with us here on Native Lights. Yeah, miigwech. Excellent. Thank yeah. you. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah. Um, so we'll just say gigawabamin, and um, we'll talk soon. All right. <laughs> yeah. Thank, thank you, you very much. much. Yeah, that's so great. Um, what a wide, widely um, talented person. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, you know. The cultural and development, you know, resources and stuff like that, but also writes a book, kid's book, and Charles Bender. It's awesome. Yeah, and has several other books and yeah. was a radio host. How about that? <laughs> the list goes on. That's great. But yeah, I wish, I wish, like, it's just weird that I didn't, you know, hear about Charles Bender until later in my life. And it's mm. something that, I man, I just, I wish there were more of these stories that we would have heard when we were younger. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I thought it was so cool because, you know, I saw, you know, the books in this series. So there are three books currently in the series and different authors for each, including Kate Ferris uh, writing Charles Albert Bender, National Hall of Fame pitcher. And then, of course, Diane Wilson, whom we just had on the program yeah. uh, on Native Lights, who wrote about Ella Cara Deloria, Dakota language protector. And then also there's a story on Peggy Flanagan, Ogamakwe, Lieutenant Governor, written by Jessica Engelking, who we're scheduled to have on Native Lights in, in a couple weeks here. So, and we've uh, talked, and we've spoken to Peggy Flanagan. I know, right? <laughs> it's just, it's just uh, <laughs> it's great. So, thank you to Cade Ferris. Yes, Cade Ferris is an author and Indigenous historian and researcher. Cade is enrolled Metis Nation citizen of the Manitoba Metis Federation and is currently the Tribal Historic Preservation Officer with the Red Lake Nation. If you want to hear more Native folks talking about their gifts and finding their purpose, search for Native Lights Where Indigenous Voices Shine wherever you find podcasts and find all of Minnesota Native News' content at minnesotanativenews.org. Native Lights Where Indigenous Voices Shine is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. I'm Leah Lem. And I'm Cole Primo. Miigwech for listening. Giga Giga Wabaman. Wabaman.